Thank you. Well played. Be very beautiful. I appreciate that. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Jason Williams. Um, I'm married. My wife Trudy is unable to be here this morning. I apologize. We have two children. John is five years old. Jesse is three. I teach uh, middle school English and Bible at Tennessee Temple Academy. We just finished our a year. I uh, finished finals last week. We had. We had graduation on Friday, uh, a good year. I had a great group of kids, um, enjoyed myself tremendously. I uh, graduated from Tennessee Temple University in 98 um, with a degree in English ed and minored in Bible. Uh, as I said, I was married. I, Trudy and I celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary just this month. So uh, we... Uh, it's been 10 good years. They've gone by fast, but uh, um, it's amazing. I uh, realized when I got married how a selfish person <laughs> I was. <laughs> I mean, you had to live with the one you love. Uh, but she's been a, a very supportive, godly wife, and I appreciate her very much. I'd like to introduce my mother um, Glenda Williams, Mom, if you would stand. She she joined me this morning. I feel it necessary to embarrass her. <laughs> so. I appreciate the welcome I've received arriving here. I see some familiar faces. Hendersons, I haven't seen you in, in a good while. Nelson, Brother Markham, it's good to see uh, Alan's girls here. Um, it's been a while since I've seen you, but then the, those of you who introduced yourselves to me, it's a pleasure to be here. It's been nice meeting you uh, as we gather around God's Word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and while you're turning there, just a word about your pastor. I've known Brother Allen for years. Um, one thing I can say about him, he has a pastor's heart, and you know that. But if there's something more I could say is I've never met a man with a more of a passion for God's Word than Alan Robinson. He does not just take, as you know, the traditional or the, or the well-accepted interpretation. He's going to dig in and he's going to find it for himself. And I appreciate that. He's been a mentor to me. He's been a good friend. And, I, and in his absence, I'd like to stand here and say I appreciate him very much. He is God's man for you, and I know you know that. Um, Hebrews chapter 5, and before we begin, let me open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this congregation, these group of people, Lord, who gather here every week. And we pray that you would help them, Lord, as um, this weekend, Lord, and the upcoming week, but whatever you have for them, Lord, may they take it with them. May they apply it this week. Pray for Brother Allen and Janet as they're away. We ask that you give them traveling mercies. We pray that you'd protect them. And, Lord, I pray for myself that you would help me, Lord, to uh, say what, uh, what you've laid on my heart. Be with the speaking, the, the reading of your word. May your Holy Spirit's presence be, filled, be felt here this morning. 
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason, herefore, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And the writer of Hebrews, unnamed, unknown, uh, in our circles, that is, but uh, has, for the first five chapters, has delved into... Uh, to these Hebrew believers and has sought to show examples from the Old Testament and to encourage these Hebrew believers. And we're not sure who the target audience was. We do know they were Hebrew. The writer assumes that they were, they would, uh, they're familiar with the Hebrew traditions. They're, they're familiar with the Hebrew history. But he's writing these, these, these words, this, this letter, these 13 chapters, to encourage them, no doubt there was present persecution in the lives of these believers. And the common theme is to persevere, to keep going. Do not give up. Uh, hold fast your profession. Uh, other themes, the preeminence of Christ, the sovereignty of God and, and, and his Christ. Chapter 1 begins talking about the, the coming of his son, his his, his preeminence over the angels, chapter 2, his preeminence over the law of Moses, Moses being a, a, uh, a fine leader, Moses being the prophet of God, but yet does not exceed the authority of Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, he delves into some warnings, some pretty severe warnings, using the children of Israel as an example of how they could not enter in to what was promised them because of unbelief. And in chapter 4, he again, he, he encourages these, this target audience, these Hebrew Christians, these believers, to stay with it, stay with the stuff. Chapter 5, he switches gears. He, again, he, he goes to the Old Testament as an example, and he talks about the Levitical priest, the Levitical priesthood. Out of all the 12 tribes of Israel, God saw fit to choose one tribe to represent him. And, and as we read in things pertaining to God. Now there were some things you must notice about the high priest. First of all, they were, they were chosen from among the people. God did not uh, choose an angel as a go-between. And he did not take it upon himself in the Old Testament to be the go-between. Now I'm going to step down here. If, I, if you cannot hear me, please raise your hand so that... Uh, I'm not going to use the PA, but if, if I may illustrate, the podium here represents God, the presence of God. Can you approach that on your own merit? Yes or no? No. Unable to. We, we can thank our, our parents that have a need for that. Unable to approach God on our, on our own. You represent God. One person had to come forward, be chosen from among the people, 
and stand as a go-between between the presence of God and you, the people. And that was the priest, the Levitical priesthood, Aaron being the first, and his subsequent generation took on that, that responsibility as, as priests of Israel. Excuse me, priests of Israel. They would make the sacrifices. They would, they would lead the congregation in the feast. Day of Atonement uh, celebrated once a year. The priest would make the sacrifices. They would go to that altar, burn offering, that, that bronze altar that stood right at the beginning, at the, at, the, at the entrance of the tabernacle. Make those sacrifices, take the blood, take it into the holy, the holy place, take it into the holy holies where God's presence was. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And God was satisfied for a year. Sins of the people were taken care of. The sins of the people were atoned. Now that was the priestly duty, among other things. But he was the one that stood in between. It's a pretty precarious situation to be in, don't you think? You're responsible for the people, but you're also responsible to God. Now we in Christendom today, we as Protestant, as Baptists, we don't go to a, a priest, a human priest, if you would, and go straight to the throne room of God. And I'll deal more about that in a minute. But you can uh, take in our own lives the, the role of a pastor. He kind of stands in between, does he not? Now, I believe that every Christian, every believer here is, in a sense, a priest to God. You are your own, the priesthood of the believer is a doctrine. I think it should be taught in churches today. But when, when I talk about things pertaining to God, your pastor stands before you each week as God's mouthpiece. He reads God's word to you. He expounds on it. And he expects you to take it and live, it, and live by it. But your pastor, you, as you know, and as I know, is just a man. It's the same with the priests of, of, of the Old Testament. Now it says that he was Chosen, ordained by God from among the people to represent the people that he may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant, verse 2, and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmities? What kind of pastor, what kind of spiritual leader would you think that could not identify with, with what his people are going through. You, you know as well as I do, anyone you would want to go to for counsel, anyone you would seek to talk to for spiritual help, must understand what it is you're going through. Have you ever spoken with somebody and, and poured your heart out to them, and all you got was the blank stare? Maybe you prodded them along. Do you understand what I'm going through? Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I understand. I think. That's not the kind of person you'd want to, to entrust the, your, your spiritual walk to. That's not the kind of person you want to pour your heart out to. You want somebody who can identify with you. Who can say, yes, I know exactly what you mean. It's very interesting in our world today, we have a lot of support groups, don't we? And usually when you sit in support group, you sit around in a circle and you talk about, this is what I'm going through. 
It only works if you have a group of people, a circle of people who says, yes, I know what that means. This is what happened to me. This is how I dealt with it. That's what he's talking about here in chapter 2. He says he, this priest, this Levitical priest, could have compassion on the people. Why? Because he knew exactly what they were going through. He was a man of flesh himself. In fact, it goes on in verse 3. It says, by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, also for himself to offer sacrifices for sin. Before he could complete his duties as priest in the tabernacle and later on in the temple... He had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. He was a man of flesh. He had feet of clay. He could sin. But it's very interesting that God still chose this mode, this, this, this uh, procedure for the people so that the people could identify with a man and he in turn could approach God for the people. It says in verse 4, No man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Only the, in the tribe of Levi, in the nation of Israel, could, could uh, take on this role, this responsibility of priest. Now, he's established this Old Testament model. Then he moves into a New Testament example. Look at verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. Now, it, 4 and 5 tie in together. He said in verse 4, he says, no man uh, could, could step forward and say, I'm the priest of Israel. God had to ordain them. God had to be the one to call them out. He's comparing this with, with Christ. Christ didn't step forward, and of course he had every right, but he didn't step forward and say, I'm going to be the high priest. He says that God... He says he didn't glorify himself but uh, to, be, to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Quoting from Psalm chapter 2, a messianic psalm, by the way. This is future, this psalm. It hasn't happened yet. As he saith also in another place, Psalm 110, he quotes, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The idea here is that God, the Father, appoints Christ, the Son, to be in this position. Now, the order of Melchizedek. You read of this individual in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham, after he had rescued Lot from Sodom, uh, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah from these raiders, took a portion of the spoils that he took from the raid, and he gave a part of it to this king, Melchizedek, king of Salem. His name implies a dualism, if you would. He has two sides to him. King of righteousness, okay? King of, of, of just, he was righteous, pure, but then also... King of peace. That's what king of Salem means, king of peace. They are, if you would, opposite terms. You have the, the righteousness over here. You have the peace over here. And we all know that Jesus Christ, as the man, this Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet, this, this rabbi who spent three years ministering to, the, to Israel, uh, meshed these two thoughts, if you would, together Why? By, by, by giving himself as a sacrifice. 
he, he took that judgment, he took that, that what God demanded in his righteousness, he took that judgment that, was, that, that belonged to us and, and established peace with God as a go-between, as a mediator, as that, that individual who, who submitted himself to the sufferings of a crucifixion. He says that thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ in the future will take on a dual role as a king, ruling with a rod of iron, and that you can read more about that in Psalm chapter 2, but also a, a, as a priest, a king priest, if you would. Notice verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, Unto him that it was able to save him from death. Now, look at those terms. In the days of his flesh, his incarnation, offered up prayers and supplication. What kind of, of actions are these? Offering up prayers and supplications. By the way, what was he praying? I think uh, our thoughts immediately go to the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples. If you go to the upper room in John, in the book of John, he, he makes a prayer, an intercessory prayer for, for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those who will believe. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. But this is a priestly duty that he is modeling, offering up prayers and supplications and notice how he describes it, with strong crying and tears, forceful. It wasn't just a prayer, okay? It was a prayer with meaning. It was a prayer that, that went somewhere. It was a prayer that, that he meant. Unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Hey, we all know that God the Father could have very easily stepped in, interceded, said, okay, if you don't want to do this, if you don't want to go to the cross, it's okay. I'll bring you home. He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet he learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, verses 8 and 9 have two terms in it that uh, really, you know, it re that's describing the Son, but yet seemingly doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to fit. It says that, that in verse 8, uh, it says that though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. Does this mean that he had a, had a problem, a moral deficiency? What do we mean by learned obedience? When, when I deal with my two boys, I want to teach them to obey. Why? Because they have that bent about them that I can tell them, no, they're going to want to do it. I sit and watch them sometimes. I say, John, don't you do that. And he'll stop. And he'll slowly move toward that area that I told him not to do. And he'll look at me and kind of, you know, why? He's pushing it. 
Now, is this how this passage is describing Jesus? I don't think so. When it says that he learned obedience, basically it doesn't mean that he had a problem with, with, with sin, not a moral deficiency. Learned obedience just meant that he, he submitted himself under the authority of his father. There in the garden. He says, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. He Submitted himself under that authority, but also learned obedience also carries with it the fact that he experienced things in the body of his, in, in, in that, flesh, that, that fleshly body that he took on. He learned some things that he may not have ever experienced before in the, in, in the Old Testament period. Think about it. God, Jesus Christ, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, present at creation, leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, bringing them into the land, very much a part of those, of those events in the nation's history. But he was God. And in a moment of time, God himself, God very God, in the person of Jesus Christ, stepped into time, put on a body of flesh, and for the first time, I submit to you, God, in the person, in, in that body of flesh, the incarnation, knew what it was like to hunger, knew what it was like to feel rejection, knew what it was like to weep human tears, understood uh, rejection, understood misinterpretation. Every time he turned around, he was misinterpreted. Every time he turned around, he was rejected by his own people, by the people who who quote, knew God, yet rejected him, his own family. He experienced that. Was it for nothing? Was it for a reason? That he submitted himself under the authority of the Father, and we're not just talking about the horrors of the crucifixion, although that's a very big part of his ministry. You're looking at three years prior of of, of people calling him a heretic, people hating him, experiencing the rejection. It was for a reason. Why? Verse 9, being made perfect. Now, you say he was God. He was perfect already. That word perfect uh, in this passage is the word teleo. You will find a form of the word in John the book of John, the account of crucifixion. Jesus says, it is, his final words on the cross, it is finished. Teleu. Form of the word here, made perfect. Basically, the word and all the words, forms of these words mean the same thing. Brought to completion. Brought to fruition. Completed. Jesus hung on that cross. He said, it is finished. It's done. The sacrifices are not necessary anymore. The veil in that temple rent. Access to God was achieved by what he did. It was completed. How is Jesus characterized as being complete here in Hebrews 5 verse 9? Because he experienced the human suffering. He experienced the human trials. He now knows what it's like to be human. You say he was God. Wouldn't he know already? Didn't he fashion man? Didn't he form him in the garden? Didn't he know the intricacies of how the human body worked? Yes, of course. He's God. 
But you know as well as I do, you never know, humanly speaking, you and I never know what it's like until you what, walk in those shoes. Do you feel that, that pathos, that empathy? Jesus knew us inside and out. But he submitted into the plan of the Father to be empathetic toward us. To know what it feels like. To know, to understand that when you sit in that place in your house where you're all alone and you ponder and you weep and you think, why God, why is this happening to me? And you wonder, why did this person do this to me? And you think, where am I going with my life? You have someone who understands that. You have someone who's experienced that. You have someone who has walked in those steps. And it's the God of the universe. You know that um, in our legal system in America, we have rights. We can acquire counsel if ever called upon to appear before a judge. Uh, lawyers are readily available to offer their services to you, to help you interpret the law, to make sure your rights are protected. That's a, that's a privilege we enjoy. Many times we take for granted, hopefully on a weekend like like this one, on a day like tomorrow, we, we reflect on why we have those freedoms. But you have, every one of us, have our, what we call our day in court, if need be. And we can appear before the judge and someone can stand beside us. It's called an advocate. Um, in the Bible, Jesus said in the book of John, I will pray, I will ask of the Father, and because I ask, he will give you another comforter. That's like that word comforter, paraclete, meaning someone who comes alongside. Now to demonstrate, Stephen, will you help me please? Stephen's just gotten his 25th speeding ticket.
loved to be able to know someone. Part of the judicial system of our, of our country in this town, we would lo- everyone would love to have a connection in the courthouse, wouldn't you? Someone you know, hey, call them up. Hey, listen, I got this problem. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. That's nice, isn't it? Hey, I, uh, I got to appear before the judge. Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need? Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Everybody would love to have that connection. What if that connection wasn't just someone who was willing to help you, but was intimately concerned with how you're feeling? Intimately concerned with what you're going through. Who weeps when you weep. Who laughs when you laugh. When feels the same joy you feel. Now we would love to have someone like that in the Chattanooga courthouse. Unfortunately, we don't. Or at least I don't. But do you realize that you have someone in the throne room of God who stands in your stead, who speaks for you, and who weeps when you weep, who laughs when you laugh, who feels your joy, who feels your pain. And he goes before the Father and he bats. He goes to bat for you. He stands in your place. He talks for you. It's our advocate. Now, it's very interesting that Jesus says, I will pray, I will ask of the Father, and he will, because I ask, he will send you another comforter. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit. But he uses that that qualifying term, another. Why? Because there was a comforter there. There was someone, he as, as, as was also that paraclete. If you read in Luke chapter 24, the two men leaving Jerusalem and going to Emmaus, and on that road, what were they talking about? Why did he have to die? We thought, we thought he was going to be the one to restore the kingdom to Israel. He was going to bring back the glory days. He was the Messiah, we were convinced. And they were very depressed, very low. And unbeknownst to them, they didn't know it was Jesus. But what did he do? It says that he came alongside of them and he walked beside them on their way. And what else did he do? He expounded the scriptures to them. He, he opened their eyes and understanding what the spirit does for us today it's what jesus did for these two individuals he is a paraclete he is an advocate as i said before he knows what it means to walk in your shoes he knows what it means to be rejected he knows what it means to be ridiculed he's felt it he's experienced it now what does it mean for us go back to just the previous chapter, chapter 4 of Hebrews, and I'll be finished. <clears throat> chapter 4, verse 14, to the end of the chapter, 14, 15, to 16, speaking of Christ, saying, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, there's that encouragement. He's saying, you have someone in the throne room of God who speaks for you. You have someone who's going to bat for you. Therefore, hold fast your profession. Don't give up. Keep going. There's someone speaking for you before God. For we have not a high priest, verse 15, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet... Without sin. What does that mean? Hey, I've been through it. I know what it's like. I've been tempted just like you have. 
Satan came to him, tempted him three ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's how we're tempted. He says, I've been through it before. I know what it's like. Yet I passed the test. Yet I didn't give in. Yet I didn't cave in. And you can imagine that in this sense, Jesus is acting kind of like a coach. Right? I've done it. Come on. You can do it. You can stand up underneath this. You don't have to cave in. Be strong. Hey, I'm right here. I've done it. I've experienced it. I know what it's like. Come on. Let's go. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 16, that word boldly. What words come to your mind when you see that, when you, when you hear that word, to be bold? Think of them. Confident? Strong? Audacious? Boldly. That's how we can come before the throne of grace. We don't have to cower down. We don't experience what the Israelites experienced in the Old Testament. There's no veil between us. There's no human priest that has to go in for us. We can approach the throne of grace as we are 24-7, 365 days a year. Why? Because there's someone standing beside him speaking for us who knows what you're feeling, who's experienced your pain. He says, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now that word help, turn over to Acts chapter 27 quickly. Acts 27 is the account of Paul uh, experiencing the shipwreck uh, on his way to Rome. He's under arrest. He's going to Rome. He appealed to to appear before Caesar. So the governor said, okay, I'll send you. And he gets aboard this ship, and he experiences shipwreck. 27, book of Acts, bears that account. But if you look... um, Let's start in verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachwilon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. In other words, they uh, pulled up the, the, the rudder, and they were just tossed to and fro. They let the wind carry them where they went. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat. They had a lot of repairs to do. Verse 17, which when we, they had taken up and used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, struck sail, and so were driven. But that word, they used helps to undergird the ship. And the hull was falling apart. Now that, that term helps is the term that they would uh, called frapping, frapping the hull of a ship. They would take ropes or some kind of 
of strapping and they were t- and they they ran it underneath the hull and they pulled the hull together using the ropes holding it together falling apart wrapping it up with ropes making it hold together it's called frapping it's the word used for helps in Acts 27 it's also the word used for help in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 Let me find it, and I'll read it again. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Undergirding, holding it together. You ever felt like that ship? You ever felt like your hull was falling apart? You ever felt like that all I have to do is pull my rudder and pull my anchor up and I'm just going to be carried by the wind? That's all I can do. I'm about to run aground. I'm about to face emotional shipwreck. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find helps. Pull me together, God. I need it in time of need. The writer is not implying that we may. It's implying that we will find help. Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you for these each individual and the attentive, uh, the way they listened attentively. We ask that you would be with the, your word, Lord, and May we take what we've heard, Lord, and every one of us have experienced a mess. We experienced the junk of life. We've been used. We've, we experience pain every day. God, you know what it's like. Your son has walked in our steps. May we be careful to follow in his. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll turn the service over, Mr. Shannon. Jason, we appreciate your uh, being with us and the comments that you made. And we do truly desire that the Holy Spirit would take these in our lives as we go about this daily week and just realize the blessing that we have, that we can not have to go through an, another human individual to approach the, lo- the Lord Jesus Christ and God his Father. And so um, just let this be uh, a lesson for us this week just to take advantage of that. Sometimes we fall short in doing that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would dismiss us now in, in your mercy and your grace, and we just thank you that uh, we do have the privilege and the opportunity uh, to have a high priest that is concerned about us, he cares for us, he knows all about us, and that he's willing to be that one that um, is our advocate before you. And then we know, Father, he's going to be our judge one day, and uh, we just ask that you would help us today to uh, live our lives in such a way as to be prepared to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and are thou unto the joy of the Lord. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.